0: Reimagining Black Relations, a podcast on solutions to issues relating to the Black race. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Black Relations. I'm your host, Dr. Francesca Fajimi. If you've ever had any dealings with Blacks, you have a Black Matter, so this is for you. Together, let's begin to shape and reimagine our Black relations, whether you are Black, white, or brown. Trust me, you will learn, gain, and execute just by listening. Come along. My guest today is Rodney Dixon, the CEO of Street Legend Enterprises, a US solar marketing entity that also markets business opportunities between United States and Middle East. Mr. Dixon is the creator of the underground album Merck, The Master of Seven, and the manuscript, The Cosmic Billionaires Club. His creative works are well known among celebrities and royalty. Rodney created a youth basketball training DVD with AC Green titled Street Legend and Iron Man, and has been featured on national television as a celebrity street legend. I love that. Rodney is followed by thousands of people worldwide on social media for his insightful posts regarding a myriad of topics in business, social justice, politics, and religion. Is known as a street legend basketball player. He left the Game of Hoops to work with the legendary musician Prince, and the superhero characters he created were endorsed by the late Stan Lee. News media considered his billion dollar lawsuit against Prince controversial and bizarre. DNA testing links his ancestry to Ramses III, an ancient Egyptian pharaoh. I'm sure you'll agree about the uniqueness of our guest today. Rodney, welcome to Reimagining Black Relations. Thank
1: you for having me, much appreciated.
0: Rodney, you'll have to tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born and where did you grow up?
1: I was I'm born in Brooklyn, New York, and I grew up in both Brooklyn, Long Island, and in Southern California in the Pomona, California area. with uh, the high school at all these different locations. So. I'm, I'm bi-coastal, East Coast and West Coast.
0: That is interesting. Why did you move around so much when you were young?
1: Well, my mom and dad separated early. He stayed in New York. My mom moved to Los Angeles. And so I went back and forth, back and forth, which was greatly beneficial, especially as it relates to basketball. Because uh, during those days, the two different Areas had two distinct styles of play. So I learned how to play on both styles, in both styles.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So the West will want you because you know the East style, so you can beat them, and the East will want you because you know the secret of West, right? That's right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. Now, are your parents both Blacks or are they mixed?
1: They're both black well we're all mixed <laughs> right We're all mixed so um, but yeah you know you know in America it's called a one drop rule so yeah they're both black based on the one drop rule but if you had to add all that DNA in there there's a myriad of different types of ethnicities races etc
0: you got that right you are linked to the old Egyptian pharaohs. Do you know anything about your past history?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I started studying that a long time ago. So I actually uh, put out some documentation and some claims years ago before the DNA testing was available and and had already let people know that that was a, a, was a fact. And not until years later, the DNA testing came available, which proved it. But, uh, yeah, through studying, digging in, looking at different characteristics, different types of study, and and et cetera. You knew you were from Africa. So at one point, you know, okay, I'm from somewhere in Africa. So I started digging in to figure out kind of where. And so it led me to that conclusion far before the DNS testing was available, DNA testing
0: was available. That's awesome. Have you ever been to Egypt?
1: I have not. I've been to the Middle East, of course, all over the Middle East, not the... Not Egypt specifically, that is definitely on the on the program, right, Uh, to go there and, and see it all up close. Of course, I've been to other, you know, London and different museums where they have a lot of, you know, our stuff in their museums, et cetera. So I've been able to see some things up close. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually that trip.
0: Yeah, that would be awesome. I've never been to Egypt either, but it's definitely on my list of places to go. So that that should be that should be fun. So you royalty, let's put it that way, right? That's the that's the deal. That's the deal. <laughs> that's awesome. So Rodney, let me ask you, do you have a role
1: model? Jesus is my role model. So, you know, he's the the ultimate role model. I say, you know, and creating that superhero. I had a class that I taught kids years ago, and the class was called Superhero. So the premise of the class was that we're all superheroes, but Jesus is the ultimate superhero. And so in that class, I would actually break down and describe from from the word different things that he did that only the ultimate superhero could do. So he is is my model, you know. No, the one you can't, as John the Baptist would say, "Whose sandals I am unworthy
0: to untie?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, there it is. <laughs> yep, he's the one. He's the one. One. That's great. So, may, do I need to ask you who you will attribute your success to? Then is that a is that a rhetorical question?
1: <laughs> well, again, of course, him. Right now, from a, from a earthly perspective, right, (laughs) Uh, uh, um, I have to say as a bunch of people, right, you know, what is is the term it takes a village to raise a child, so my dad, who's a biochemist, who uh, very intelligent, was like the number one ranked student out of Alabama as a kid when segregation was a higher than high, and this was the number one cat in the state as a black guy, right, with Indi- with Indian background. So, um, yeah, there's uh, him. Uh, he always talked to us about how do you sound, how do you talk, how do you present yourself, uh, staunch, you know, strict on the academics. Uh, there was the stepdad who's military. He was the SPV5 sergeant in the military, did Vietnam. So he, he had the, the discipline, like, you know, You focus, you do what you need to do, pay attention to the slightest detail. That was him, My mom who was a beautician. So she made sure everything looked the way it was supposed to look right. And She had that touch. She became famous in Southern California for what she did. She did a lot of celebrities hair and stuff like that. She had the the more artistic side of her. I got friends who was mentors in business who showed me about the value of business codes when I was just 20, 21 years old. Hey man, th- look at these business codes. You got to learn the business codes. You have to know what a code means. You have to know what a legal code mean. This is how you do a, p- a business plan. This is how you do a feasibility study. So there's just a myriad. Then there was Prince, right? Okay. Rodney, this is, you know, they call me Merck, right? So Merck, this is like, okay. So I give him a song and he's like, all right. So, you know. It's got all the instruments on it. <laughs> you know, that was the way he said. It. And then he finally said, okay, it needs some work, <laughs> right? But it had, you know, so he kind of showed me how to go about that. Stanley talked to me about how to build a superhero and a character. And so it's just, you know, really every step of the way, there it should be somebody there that you, because, you know, everybody has help hovering over them. It's whether you're humble enough to accept. You know, some leadership from somebody else or some help direction from somebody else, uh, you know, whether it be you could know 95 percent. But that five percent that you might not know could be the critical five percent piece that's going to get you to that next step. So uh, I try to look out for whatever step necessary on who's supposed to come into you know, my orbit or me and their orbit to move the thing
0: forward. I have so many questions from what you're saying, but let me just stay focused because you've opened up a lot of um, thoughts in my mind. You grew up both on the East Coast and the West Coast. What was your real first exposure to the subject of racism and discrimination? Do you remember any instance you can share with us?
1: One particular incident that I do talk about in the book is seeing uh, these black guys and white guys fighting in the field when I was in elementary school. And I didn't know what was going on. And some friends of mine at the school said, yeah, they're fighting because they're white and black. And I'm like, okay, well I don't get it. What is, what does that have to do with it? And, and then that started me to kind of, all right, let me start asking some questions. Let me start looking around seeing what the world is going on on why this is an issue. Prior to that, I had really been hidden from, you know, any type of racial differences. So I didn't grow up early. I didn't grow up with that in mind. I just, I wanted to beat you. So if I played a sport, it didn't, I didn't care who you were. If you're playing on the other team, it's fair game. I'm trying to, I'm trying to whip on you. I never let up because, oh, this guy's a black guy. So I'm going to let up on him. Or this guy's a white guy. So I'm going to let up on him, or I'm not going to play my best to beat you. I didn't know of a difference. So I'm trying to get you right. Get in the pole position. I'm trying to race you and beat you. I don't care who you are. But then when that happened, that's when it started to open my eyes. Like, okay, well, there's something else going on. And then that's when I realized there's other opposition out here that you don't know that you're playing against. There's some things hidden and some not hidden that you're playing against. So I started trying to figure out, you know, what those forces were.
0: Many of the black male guests that I've had on the program, they told me about a moment when their parents spoke to them um, as a young man um, on how to navigate the environment and to um, stay away from trouble and get home alive. Basically, the parents having the talk with them. Did you ever experience that talk with your parents?
1: No. Um, my, of course, being bicultural, so my my dad, he didn't break it down to say, based on a race, on getting home safe. His thing was academics, he would, his word that he would always use if he related to anything like an outside concept, it was always the system. So that was kind of his buzzword. If you don't do this, the system. If you want to do this, the system, right? So it was always the system. So it was always trying to figure out how to navigate, period, because the system could have multiple races depending on what system you're in. So the, his approach gave me a better understanding of how to navigate internationally, where when I learned that, you know, hey, the people running things in China are Chinese. The people running things in Arabia are Arab. The people running things in Africa are African. The people running things in Germany are German. So the system, <laughs> said, that covers it all. It said, whoever was in control, you better learn how to navigate that game. So that was his approach. My mom really never never got into that, that one way or another. So both of them really were about this is how you as an individual win, period. And they both had that approach.
0: That's actually quite insightful because they did not focus on your race or your identity. It's more of what you need to do to be successful as a human being.
1: Well, that's correct. Now, being that like I have two older brothers who were born in Alabama. I, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. So in Brooklyn, New York, of course, it's a different dynamic. Now, had I been born and raised in Alabama, the talk probably would have been a bit different. But being that he was an academic astute, you know, on steroids, basically, um, he could talk to you from that perspective because he did it. There was no need to talk to me. You know, now I look back on it. Right. There was really no need for him to focus on being kind of under something when he had already conquered above. Now, later on in life, he told me how they came to him and asked him to uh, share the title, basically, or else he wasn't going to get it. And so he ended up not getting whatever that that award was because he refused to share the title. But I didn't learn that till I mean shoot, I, I was already this age, right? He told me that recently, so he just never wanted you to have in the back of your mind because that probably if I you know I look at his strategy, it would probably give you an excuse not to go out to win, because then you only go so far and you go oh they only they only going to let me get this far. It reminds me when I was in the middle and I was in the Middle East and they told me well Rodney. Uh, uh, they're only going to let this guy get here. And I went, who's, who, who's they? Oh, the powers that be. And I went, okay, I don't get it. Right. Cause my head is like, okay, the power to be Jesus. Right. And I'm like, okay, I don't get all you know, I don't know anybody stronger than him. So I kind of just threw that aside. And then the person we were talking about actually excelled and did it. And so I went back and said, and they went, okay, you were right. You know? So, um, yeah, that's kind of what my book is about. I don't I don't believe there's any they that have that much power.
0: Mm-hmm. So those limitations and those perceived barriers were removed based on the mindsets that you had growing up. So you're doing some work in the Middle East. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Are you experiencing any challenges due to your race over there?
1: Um I wouldn't know. If it was based on race and the reason why I would say that is because I will say that in my circles, I'm in circles where guys are running things, right? These are shakes. So I'm not really in the everyday circle when I go, which is why, even though I've been over there many, many times, I haven't had the luxury of time to go to Egypt or something because I was always inside of some type of business situation. Right. And they're very demanding on time. The dudes don't sleep. So um, in my circles, I've only met one other uh, black man from America. And he was Islamic. I'm not. He was Islamic. Was, he was from Detroit and he was over there and he had an office over there. And I was running with this royal family. and He pulled me aside. And he said, hey, man, um, you're with some you're with some power for people and not everybody get that opportunity. So, hey, you know, good job, man. Stay focused. So that's the only other guy I met that was black, that was from America, that was in the circle I was in. But I've seen multiple races come to that circle to try to do business. I haven't seen these guys give a darn who you are. They don't care who you are, white, black, Chinese, they do not care. It's all about the business. And if you're in their world doing business, it's got to go a certain way. So I don't know <laughs> if my race really had something to do with it one way or another because I'm only when I'm doing business with them it's only about what we're doing business in. You kind of don't get into they'll say, "Hey, that's my line." So you really don't cross the line to get into their business that they're doing outside of you.
0: What kind of business are you doing with them?
1: Well, I started out actually um, in Denver, Colorado. So a friend of mine was buddies. He went to school with some of the guys. And I didn't even know, you know, you know, hey, I'm a kid who watched movies. So I saw, you know, all I know about the Middle East is, is Aladdin. It's, you know, <laughs> that's all I know. And so... Uh, when these guys came over here, they were going to school in Colorado and a friend of mine that I used to run around with when I played basketball, he befriended them and he actually ran into me at an event and I used to help him out. And he goes, Hey man, I'm gonna help you. on some people that you want to meet because you used to always help me. And he introduced me to them. And because I knew business, they were all business students So they say, hey, a friend of his is a friend of ours, a brother of his is a brother of ours. And they just engrafted me in. So I kind of immediately got in when they started hearing me kind of break down different business principles, which is what they were really coming here for. um, They put me in charge. So it was a group of them where I started helping them with their budgets because they would spend the, the family would send them money and it was supposed to last a month. They'd be out of the money within two weeks. So they got to keep calling home, keep calling home. So I got in there like, OK, dude, you guys are eating at a high level restaurant, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Let me take you to a grocery store. It was actually their first time ever going to a grocery store and filling up the refrigerator. And when we o- we opened up the refrigerator, the smell that came out of that refrigerator, that refrigerator hadn't been opened and I don't, I don't know when the last time. So we called some people and have them come clean up and clean out the refrigerator and, and I started them on a way where they had money at the end of the month, and that kind of started. There was other things I got into doing business plans for them, feasibility studies, and then they would call home because the parents were like, "Well, you're not, you're not running out of money in two weeks. What's going on? Oh, we met this guy here that's been helping us. Who is he?" And so word got around that way and so they started asking me to help them do some business packages and some they would come up with an idea I would put it in a formula a business plan a feasibility study and then they would implement it in the Middle East so I was doing business over there before I ever went over there
0: it's almost like your good works made way for you based on that friend of yours that introduced you I mean if you did not sow a good seed in his life he would not remember to connect you, right? Right, and that's kind of how it's been. That's pretty much, you just described my walk, Hmm.
1: right? Where if I just focus on doing a solid to somebody, just for solid sake, right? I'm, I'm I'm gonna do good with you just for that sake. I'm not looking for anything. Later on, it's always come back to me a hundredfold. So if you need my help, I just try to help you if I can. And we can go from there. Now, if it's a business deal, I'm going to do it from a you know we're gonna contract or whatever the case may be. But I've helped many people where I'm just helping them. It's not a contract and it, it's come back. And that was one of those situations.
0: Wonderful. So glad to, to hear that. And thank you for what you're doing. And I'm sure you're sewing into a lot of people's lives. And even those hearing you, you're sowing into their lives uh, with, uh, with this conversation today. What tips can you share with aspiring Black entrepreneurs in crossing the Rubicon?
1: It's a tough game. So that's one is knowing it's a tough game because some of it is systemic racism. A lot of it is ignorance. They don't know. Um, People have been taught certain things about black people that are untrue. The, you know, the, the stereotypes, Uh, the book that I created is, is to kind of go into and, you know, tackle those stereotypes and expose the myths that exist about us folk, and um, and so part of that is also not seeing yourself. It's one thing that I say in the book, you know, and I don't want to give away everything in the book, but there's a, a certain thing that I say in the book about um, black leadership. And usually, when you hear black leadership, it's focused on you leading other blacks. I do not see black leadership that way. I see black leadership as being a leader that can lead anybody, everybody. I'm already black. Right? I can't fool no, I can't fool anybody when I walk in the door, right? I, okay, that's a brother right there. So I don't need. Now it's all about leadership. So he's black leader, not leader of blacks, right? black leader of anybody that wants to follow this particular leadership for this particular goal. So that's what I would say first and foremost, right? Just look at yourself as if you're going to be a leader, because that's what a business person is a business leader, right? That you're going to lead others into whatever it is, whether it be sales, whether it be marketing, like what I do, whether it be uh, connecting investors, which which is what I do, regardless of it, I'm still going to lead the campaign from my side. So that's what I would say in business is to see yourself universal, right? As a universalist. And if you look at going back to um, Ramesses III and the Ramesses dynasty and that whole Egyptian clique, it was all about universal. Now, where they fell short, is not being able to navigate beyond that into the lord jesus but he god's the creator of the universe so you still have to see yourself universal the trick is to see yourself in limited that's what the stereotypes are so a lot of us have fed into that narrative and now that's how we're describing ourselves. And I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. No,
0: Rodney. What mistakes have you made that you can share with others so they can avoid it? I say the big mistake is not
1: accepting a step for what a step is, and so by focusing on the end result you can't focus on the end result the whole time. So there's been many times where I'm focused on the end result, where God is giving me a step. So if that step has been a step that starts to present a challenge, and I think that that challenge is an unwarranted one, whether it be unfairness, right? Fair play, et cetera. Then I'm usually going, uh, you know, I don't need to deal with that. Let me go around it. But going around the situation will take longer than letting God dissolve the situation that you went head on with. So that's been probably the greatest mistakes is because is I don't like drama, <laughs> right? I'm avoid drama as much as I possibly can. And then it's amazing because I try to go around it. Lo and behold, the same exact drama pop up. And it's like, oh, shoot, I got to deal with this. So, you know, uh, being quicker to uh, understanding that, you know, hey, a step is a step and you might have to deal with this step and stay here for a minute.
0: All right. Remember the steps, you got to go through them. If you had to recommend some solutions to bridge the economic and social gaps that resulted from racism and discrimination, what would those solutions be?
1: Well, of course, that's going to have to be political, right? There's got to be some action done on a political level. But at the same time, okay, you'll hear this not just from me. So black people spend about a trillion dollars a year in America, right? But then you hear people say that, but I don't like the approach, So the approach is usually because black people spend a trillion dollars a year and all the black people totally go on their own away from everybody else and then entrust that trillion to somebody so that they can quote unquote be the black leader. So we're back to that again, right? So I don't necessarily like that approach, right? So if we're going to do that approach, i tell you what, give me the trillion. <laughs> I'll be the cat. You give me the trillion, and I guarantee you, we're going to kick butt and take names. But obviously, I don't believe that that's the program. I think the program is to, to, to you know, there's a scripture that says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, right? Okay, so if that's the case, right, how are you going to get it, right? So you're going to have to be where I'm in the I'm in the I'm in the mix. I'm in the room. Right. It's like where I used to when I started running around the Middle East and and there's tables, right, where we would get together. You'd be in a hotel and you see these guys in different tables, six, seven, eight, ten, all surrounded within a table. And I knew that. And you hear people say the term, I need to get a seat at the table. Right. That's what they're saying. So the key is getting a seat at the table. When you get a seat at the table, what I've learned is that you have to negotiate. So the gap will happen through negotiation. Well, if the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, you can either take the approach that that means that all the wealth of the wicked is a hundred percent going to the righteous, or there's a certain amount that's there for you, right? Being that I understand that things have to be negotiated, right? If I look historically at Joseph went to Pharaoh and Joseph had the business plan. Pharaoh had a vision, but didn't know what it was. Joseph had the plan. They came together. So you, I got to go in there and negotiate to say, let's make it happen. Because if a guy is sitting on, 20 billion and I'm sitting on zero Then either <laughs> I'm coming in there going, let my people go. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm either going to let my people go, give me the whole 20 billion. You get nothing. And that's the name of the game, which of course, you know, was going to happen there, right? You're going to get all kind of defense and that's going to be a slow moving process. Or I can go in there and say, look, man, I can make you another, whatever, Right, we can do a deal and I can run my program and we can come together. Right. That brings me to another scripture, which says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant, nor what to put their hope in wealth, right? But to put their hope in God. Well, there you go. So my game is not just going there trying to say, All that you have belongs to me. I'm about to make you broke. That's not the angle, right? My angle is to go in there and say, okay, don't be arrogant with that. We got to come out here and help some folks. I am coming at you in the name of the Lord. You got to help some people, right? And I got to have enough spiritual fortitude to get that person to say, okay, Rodney, you know, I never saw it that way before. I, I, I'm with you. I got to help people. And I remember Sheikh sat me one time in a, in a hotel, and he talked to me for an hour and a half. And he and he, and he don't do a whole lot of talking. He don't do a whole lot of talking. But he talked an hour and a half straight, nonstop. And he said, we have to help people. We have to help people. And I was like, okay. All right. So that's where it is. What's my focus? If this cat's already got 20 billion, I don't need to go make 21 billion and say, I beat you. I need to get you... You already got 20 billion, right? I got to get you to see it's not for you by yourself. God gave you 20 billion. You're a manager, bro. So let me show you a program on how we can make that do some darn good for some folks. And I got to have that kind of power to get him to say, okay, well, other people might have not been able to move this dude's heart, right? That's my role, I
0: believe. Collaboration, partnership, even if you don't have the resources as we see today, let's even say financial resources, but you have intellectual resource, right? Intellectual capacity, then take that and collaborate with those that have the resources that you don't have and use it to make something happen really find a way to get in, use what you have with what they have and use it to do a bigger and better good for the whole of humanity. It sounds like that's what I'm hearing. Is that correct?
1: That's a great, that's a great, you broke it down perfectly, right? It's not according to what you don't have, it's according to what you have. And the the key phrase that you said breaks down to intellectual property. And that's how you got kids coming from the hood and coming from the ghetto coming up with a rap song and being worth $10 million in a month, right? That's where it's coming from, the ability to come up with something out of nothing. We've we've specialized in that, right? We've mastered that, <laughs> being able to come up with something out of nothing and getting people who are in position to go in and say, you know what, I'll work with you. We can make something happen together. And then you can grow and grow from there. Now, that's all about you learning how to become a better entrepreneur and you going out there, pulling it off and helping somebody else. So, but you got to start from somewhere. Remember, you got to take the steps, not just seeing the end result.
0: I would like you to imagine something with me. Um, What do you think, the reimagined world with black and white will look like when we have. Let's picture a better world with people. What does it look like in your mind? Can you describe it?
1: Yeah, I can describe what I believe. Um, there's forces that'll be for that, and there'll be forces that'll be against that, right? So, if you just focused on the forces that are for that right it's tricky for folks and it's tricky for folks who are white because if you've been running on this this notion of white supremacy is going to hinder the program it's not going to just hinder black people it's going to hinder the results period because since we were put together there's programs There's processes, there are results that are supposed to happen out of that. And so if you have to be on top, right, it's not going to work. It's no different than even how some churches operate, right? Where I'm talking to guys and I go, look, my job is to introduce somebody to Jesus, right? My job is not to be Jesus. My job is to introduce somebody to him. Once I introduce you to him, how it works from there is between you and him. Now he might ask me, Rodney, I need you to keep helping water this cat and trim some of his, you know, bad parts and shave some of them thorns, you know, smooth this cat out. That might be, you know, a process where I'm still involved, but I don't know to what level that growth is for you. So if you always have to be under me or less than me, and I'm always up here and you're always there, it can limit the program because my capacity might be only here where your capacity is way up here, right? So if I limit your capacity underneath me, it happens in corporations, it happens with friends, it happens in families, it happens everywhere where if you're older or you're in a superior position, you think that you're supposed to be in control. Same story going back to uh, Pharaoh and Joseph. Well, Pharaoh went in the back room and said, look, I know you have the real deal, but if I just go out here and let you show forth that real deal, our whole thing is, our whole infrastructure is going to crumble. The whole thing is going to crumble because people are going to be confused because they didn't have the vision. So they're not going to know what the heck is going on. So for the sake of being a smart builder, a wise man, I'm going to put you in control of everything. For the sake of the throne in the eyes of the people. I'm in control. Everything else is under you. And he gave him the signet ring. So that means he's got the credit card, right? He's got the credit card to do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, no questions asked. He doesn't even have to ask Pharaoh. So he was really in total control, but it had to be done in a way that the whole infrastructure did not crumble. That's wisdom. So you got to apply wisdom to this thing to say, how do I pull off what I want to pull off without destroying the whole darn thing?
0: Rodney, I've also heard several times that people will say when black people are lifted, everybody is lifted because blacks are at the base of the pyramid. Right. So if you lift up the base, what happens to the pinnacle is lifted as well. And that's what you're describing. So essentially, you're saying that nobody should feel threatened about blacks or minorities being lifted It's going to lift everybody up. As long as you apply wisdom, right?
1: Yeah, but like I said, there's going to be oppositions too. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Because I'm not, you lift me up. I'm telling you now, I'm not going in there to say I'm going to be limited to be underneath you, right? I'm going to the height that God has called me to. You are irrelevant in that. So now if we partner up, I still don't need limitations from you or else that's a step. Now that's my lot and that's the program. That's the program, but I'm playing to win, not win against you. Win the role that I've been called to. I'm trying to be the best in my role. So if that means a black guy's got to be at the top of the pyramid, he's got to be at the top of the pyramid. If that means somebody else has to be at the top of the pyramid, He has to be at the top of the pyramid. Now, the good thing about it, Jesus said, look at here, you guys are all knuckleheads. So let me do this. I'm going to go ahead and be the head. So I'm at the top of the pyramid. That should, that's it. That should get rid of all the rest of the drama, right? I'm at the top of the pyramid. Now the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And I can't say to this, you know. So all the rest of you are supporting members so as long as you know I'm the one in control, none of you are ever in control. And so now there should be no argument where you're trying to hold somebody else down. But you know how it is. Oh, but, you know, as far as everybody can see, you know, you're looking like you're in front of me. And so, you know, in the black world with your head in I see, or whatever the case may be, and you start doing the Cain and Abel trick.
0: I want to know a little bit about your latest project, the making of Atoma Merck. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So um, when I started working with Prince a long time ago, um, his music was something that was unique, but his lyrics was a whole different thing. And so I go, how can you know, I had a unique sound. He loved it. And so, okay, what kind of concept can I come with? that would be that I could do and feel good about it right well I don't have to I don't have to think about my conscience when I'm doing it right and then I started thinking about energy and things of that nature and I saw and I thought that solar would be a very powerful source and it would be a great way and it will allow me to talk about spreading light versus these dark powers and at nighttime use of energy and fossil fuel etc okay this is a noteworthy a credible path that I never have to second guess or think twice about as far as my conscience is concerned. And so that's what I endeavored way back then. So I made this character, the superhero character, it's a solar superhero back in 1989. And the Cosmic Billionaires Club was written in 1990. So it's a book about, it's a manuscript about the future of solar energy. And I did it in all this real creative way. And so I started creating creative content with solar energy decades ago and so when i first did it everybody was like what the heck are you doing what are you talking about was like man what's up with all this cosmic talk what the heck is this right and so as time started going on and time started going on especially recently after the 2005 clean air act had a lot of folks going oh shoot this is what you were talking about okay i see it now so that's where the superhero comes from and so in that, it's also how to, it's my attempt to combat stereotypes because I didn't come from parents that taught me hate this, hate that. I didn't come from that. So I can't pretend. Um, I came from a guy who's a biochemist, scientist, intellectual on steroids. That's where I come from. I come from a, a military sergeant, discipline. So as a result, me talking about energy and and electricity and climate, and I used to sit around with my friends and go, man, that meter that spins back up frontwards on the side of your house, the the meter always spins when you sleep. And so I go, man, they're charging you when you sleep. I got to figure out how to make money when I sleep because it costs. (laughs) And so, you know, today you got net metering where the meter spins backwards when you put solar energy on there. I was already thinking this stuff a long time ago. So um, that's where the superhero comes in. And then when I sat with Stan Lee, I explained to him about the character and me and him sat together. and We first started discussing this back in 2007. And he loved that I had a character attached to something real. It wasn't just like some of the stuff he was doing where it was just a character, but it wasn't attached to something real. And so my character would have life. Hollywood was irrelevant. A movie was irrelevant. Right. It was based on a real life product. And so being a champion for this particular cause made the superhero really have a real life mission. He oh, my God, he jumped. I want in. I want in. I want in. And so it was the first character he ever endorsed that he didn't create. And so that's kind of what this is all about. So the book is basically saying all these different ingredients that me and you are talking about on this podcast here are what led to the development of this character. So that's why it's the making of a And then from there, we'll start talking about and creating different products and, and stories and comics or whatever from the character. But now you know what, made the character who he is.
0: I love it. How can our listeners uh, get get uh, lay their hands on this?
1: On amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. Um, I think you're going to have a link. And let's get as many reviews out there as possible. And so I'm not going to tell people, oh, just go ahead and put a review or just go ahead and share it just to be sharing it. Go ahead and read the content. And if you think this is really, really important, especially for youth, I've done youth programs forever now, especially for youth. And you feel like this is an important product that people need to hear, that people need to come to unity and peace and et cetera, then share this information, share this book.
0: Beautiful. Is there anything you would like to share that I have not asked you, Rodney?
1: Uh, Not in particular. I mean, I'm a solar guy at the end of the day, right? So it wasn't just about product. Or, or in IP, intellectual property, and just stories. I actually am a guy in the solar industry. I have a solar company, right? So we're doing what we're saying, right? We're actually out here combating, fighting for climate change. We're, we're battling the forces that want to keep you know fossil fuels going and dirty energy and I call it haunted houses because the energy from fossil fuels is coming from death that's empowering the house. I mean, that's a haunted house, right? Just <laughs> so, so like no, 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 we yeah, had clean energy to go get rid of these haunted houses out here. So a lot of people living in haunted houses and we are gonna have to exercise those demons up out of there.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh I'm cracking up I'm <laughs> just picturing what you said. <laughs> I can visualize it. <laughs> Gosh. Rodney, thank you for sharing your journey with me today. I really appreciate you being my guest. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in to Reimagining Black Relations. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and encourage them to subscribe on yourblackmatters.com. And as always, if you have any feedback for me, please email me at francesca at yourblackmatters.com. Rodney, Thank you again for your contribution to the history we're making together. I'm really excited to be a part of it. God bless you and your family. God bless you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And to everyone, may God bless you as well. And may the Lord bless the United States of America. See you next time.